Welcome to Victory Church Winchester, Virginia's weekly podcast. Our desire is that you will find Victory a place to call home. Please take a moment to subscribe and share. Here is this week's message from our Sunday morning worship experience. Good to be here at Victory Church, and uh, thank you so much, Pastor. Usually they'll let me come one time, and then that's it. So thank you for letting me come back, and uh, we're, we're excited to be here. And uh, always good to see, we got to see Sarah and Bradford's baby, and thank God it looks like Sarah. And uh, so I've had, I've had a pleasant experience this morning. I've had a couple, well, two to be exact, that have said, you look like you've lost weight. So thank you, you're my best friend. And, uh, but I have lost weight because at the beginning of the year, Nancy said, it's time to go on a diet. I said, what kind of diet do you want me to go on? She said, I want you to lose 10 pounds a month. I said, 10 pounds a month, that's pretty aggressive. She said, yeah, I figure you'll be gone in two and a half years. So uh, anyhow, we're working on it. So hey, I do believe that the Lord's uh, given me a word for today. It's one word, and it's the word engaged. Engaged. Everybody needs to be engaged. And we're going to be looking at a familiar story, so I want you to open your Bibles to the 10th chapter of Luke. It's a story called the the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because there's a huge difference between being engaged and being aware. A lot of times we think if we're aware, that's enough. But it's not enough to be aware. We have to be engaged in meeting the needs that God has called us to meet individually and as a church. So let's uh, open our Bibles. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. In this story, a lawyer comes to Jesus and asks him, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit life? And the Lord turns it around and asks him a question. He says, well, what do the, what do the scriptures say? So this lawyer uh, reads or quotes Luke 10, 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he gives the great, the great commandment to love God and love others. Those two things remind us that we're to be engaged not only in worship, like we just were, loving and giving God honor, but we're to love those around us. How many know it's a lot easier to love God than it is to love others? Did somebody start to clap right there? All right. <laughs> I, I, I hope that wasn't, you're not sitting next to your wife when you do that. But... Uh, But we have to love God and love each other. So, uh, but the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, doesn't just let things settle there. He says, Lord, who is my neighbor? That's one of the great questions that anyone ever asks. And the Lord gives this parable in order to answer that question, who our neighbor is. Look at Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 30. Verse 30 says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. There are four encounters that this unnamed, uh, unnamed man that's been beaten had. 
Number one, the thieves. And look at how each one responded. The thieves exploited the man. They took advantage of him. I'll never forget being in Haiti on a Convoy of Hope trip. And uh, at the end of the trip, they took us up on a mountain overlooking the city a Port-au-Prince, and we get up there, and there's all kinds of vendors selling different wares. And when we got, it was all pastors on the trip. When we got back on the bus, there's 15 pastors or so, and we're all talking about how we just, you know, got the best price from, said, we haggled this guy, and we got the best, no, I got the best price. And all of a sudden, it dawns on me, we're, we're bragging about saving a couple of dollars from the poorest people on the place of, face of the earth of the planet. And it realized that it's so easy sometimes to take advantage of those that are less fortunate than us. The thieves exploited the man. The priests avoided the man. He just ignored him. He just walked past. The Levite examined the man in one paraphrase or one scripture, King James, I think it is, he talks about how he actually looked at the man, but he didn't stop. But the Samaritan, the Samaritan engaged the man. Which of these do you identify with? The thieves who exploited, the priest who avoided, or the, the Levite who examined, or the Samaritan who engaged the man? The main thought of my message this morning is simple. It's this. It's not enough to be aware of the needs around you. We have to be engaged in meeting those needs. Let me say that again. It's not enough to be aware of the needs that are around us. We are called to be engaged in meeting those needs. Thank God that this afternoon at 4 o'clock, you're going to reach out to some of the uh, people of this community that are less fortunate than us, and you've got four or 500 backpacks filled with school. Thank God for that. But it's not enough just to know some of us are aware of that, but others are engaged. Others have said, hey, I'll come and I'll help fill those backpacks. I'll come and I'll buy some supplies. I'll come and... I'll, I'll help, uh, you know, take care of one of the jumpers. Are you engaged or are you just simply aware? That's the question this morning. So let me talk to you about how to be engaged. Number one, we need to be engaged personally. We need to be engaged personally. Everybody just kind of pat yourself and say, I need to be engaged. Would you do that right now? I need to be engaged. Look at your neighbor and say, I need to be engaged. I thought I was going to have you say, they, you, no. We need to be engaged. Luke chapter 10, verse 33 says this, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. That's a very important phrase. Came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. When the man came where the man was, he didn't wait for the man to come to the church. He went to where the man was. You know, a lot of times we think that all ministry takes place right here at the front of the church. But the ministry that God is calling Victory Church to be engaged in, in Winchester, in this northern, north part of, what you, this is not northern Virginia. I got corrected last time because they're liberal over there. This is, I don't know where we are, somewhere in the corner of Virginia that's above the southern line. Anyhow, you're called to be engaged. We're called to be engaged. God's call is to embrace people, to embrace people. So it's not enough. Notice two things happened. Number one, he saw, and then he took pity. He was aware, and then he engaged. With modern media, it's so easy to be aware of the needs all around the world. For instance, recently in Mali, there was a coup, and Mali's thousands and thousands of miles away, but yet most of us know about that. Why? 
because we are more aware of things that are going on around us than we've ever been. But the question is not, are you aware? The question is, are you engaged? Just like the story, too many exploit, avoid, or maybe even go as far as to examine the needs, but we don't engage. Why? Because of our excuses. We hide behind our excuses. We're too busy. And you know what? We are too busy. Can we just all right now confess we're too busy? But we're not busy doing the things that matter. We're not busy doing things that are going to have an eternal uh, uh, value to them. Second excuse is, I don't know what to do. And you know what? I don't know how to meet most needs, but I do this. You know, I, I, this year, I've had the privilege of traveling and speaking most every weekend. And I've had the privilege of speaking for some former youth that were in my youth group. And that's been a really incredible experience to see them. They're all old now. They were like, they're like, they, they come up to me in wheelchairs and on canes and say, I was in your youth group. I know. Just go sit down and shut up. But, uh, what a, I mean, it's just, it's, it's humbling. But I had a point when I started. Where was I going with that, Pastor Keith? I got anointed there and got off track. But it's not, <laughs> let's just go back. I don't know what to do. You know what, here, I know where I was going now. I was a youth pastor, but I didn't know how to be a youth pastor. That's just what you did when you came out of Bible college back in the early 1500s when I was in school, and, and, and because that was the path to, to, to real ministry. And so I, I apologized to, to one of the guys I preached for in Sioux Falls recently. I said, you know, I was a horrible youth pastor. And you know what his response was? He said, but you loved us so well. And it touched my heart. And I said, you're right. I didn't know how to be a youth pastor, but I knew how to love. And you may not have the answers to all the exploited people of the earth, but you can love people. And that's the greatest need that any of us have right now. Another excuse is, it's not my problem. Not my problem. I don't think, you know, we could divide the house today if we want to talk about Ukraine. Should we be involved? Should we not be involved? We could pick any political issue and divide the house because half would say it's our problem and half would say it's not our problem. But the truth is, if God shows us a need, it becomes our problem. My wife has a saying, and I don't know where she came up with this saying, and I don't like it because every time she says it, she's looking straight at me. She goes, it's not my monkey, not my zoo. I go, are you calling me a monkey? She said, I'm, not, I'm just saying it's not my monkey. You know what she's doing? She's passing the buck. She's passing the buck because that's what we do, don't we? It's not my problem. It doesn't affect me. It, it's over there. And, you know, there's some things that we need to have that attitude. But when God shows us a need, we need to, not, we need to stop living in the land of denial and start living in the land of responsibility. We act like the proverbial toy monkey sometimes. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. And God's calling us to not just be aware, but to be involved. God is calling us to be like the unnamed Samaritan and engage in meeting the needs around us. One of my heroes, one of my, one of my favorite people in the history of the United States, and he lived during my lifetime, is Martin Luther King, Jr. And not only did his speeches move me, but his writings have moved me through the years. And in his letters from a Birmingham jail that he wrote, on, on newspaper as he wrote all the way around the edges of the paper while he was incarcerated for trying to bring civil rights to the, to the African Americans. He wrote this, 
we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. That's powerful. It's not just, oh, well, I didn't do any wrong. I never called anybody any names. I never, I never exploited anyone. But did you get engaged? Did you rise up and say, I'm going to do something different? Let me ask you a question. Aren't you tired of sitting on the sidelines, aware of the needs but not engaged, wanting to get involved, wanting your life to count, wanting to make a difference but afraid to take a step of faith? In his book, He Still Moves Stones, Max Cater writes this. I love it. I love it. Max says, Jesus says the options are clear. On one side, there is the voice of safety. You can build a fire in the hearth, stay inside and stay warm and dry and safe. You can't get hurt if you never get out, right? You can't get criticized for what you don't try, right? You can't fail if you don't make a stand, right? You can't lose your balance if you never climb, right? So don't try it. Take the safe route. Or, and those two little letters, or, are so positive. We can take the safe route. Or, he goes on to say, we can hear the voice of adventure, God's adventure. And instead of building a fire in the hearth, we can build a fire in our heart. And we can follow God's impulses. We can, uh, uh, we can adopt that child. We can move overseas. We can teach the class. We can change careers. We can run for office. We can make a difference. Sure, it isn't safe, but what is? Don't think staying inside out of the cold is safe. Jesus disagrees. Jesus said whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. I like the words of General Douglas MacArthur when he, at the age of 78, said, Nobody grows old by, near, by merely living a number of years. People grow old by deserting their ideals. And, and he says this, Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up the interest wrinkles the soul. It's time to be engaged. I have the privilege, as I shared when I was here last time, of working with Priority One Missions and Priority One Missions our sole purpose is to help build Bible schools to train leaders around the world. We've built in over 55 nations and on five different continents, and we're in five different continents building even as we speak today. And Sam, at the age of, uh, in his early 60s, 62, 63 years old, when most missionaries were getting ready to retire, he'd already had a legendary career. He'd gone to Spain and built a Bible school, trained pastors. He had gone to Portugal and built a massive school that's trained pastors all these years. But yet, at his age, when many of his contemporaries were you know, saying, we've done our part, we're going to sit back, we're going to take the comfortable route, Sam said there's still a need. He saw that the greatest need for, to the evangelization of the world was trained workers, not just missionaries going, because missionaries that go eventually come home. What he saw was that missionaries need to train the nationals so that the nationals can take the gospel to their people. And so he started Priority One Ministry. And now at 84 years of age, he's still traveling the entire world. Why? Because he understands it's not enough to be aware of the needs. You've got to be engaged in meeting the needs. The question is this. Are you engaged? Are you engaged? It's time to stop talking about how awful things are and start making a difference. We have two options. We can gripe about the way things are, or we can choose to engage in making things better. We can criticize, or we can engage. 
We can complain or we can engage. Are you going to be a critic or a change agent? Are you going to worry about the needs around us? Or are you going to offer yourself as one to work to help meet those needs? Are we going to hide behind our excuses? Or are we going to engage in meeting the needs that surround us? Are you content to lament the way things are? Or are you, are you hungry to find a way to improve things? I love this story. Every day when I was pastoring those 26 and a half years in Jackson, every day I was on the radio. And people said, it's good you are on the radio because you got a face for radio. And uh, some of you will get that later and go, hey, he really does have a face for radio. So thanks a lot. But anyhow, that, it was one minute, and I would just tell a story. And here's one of the stories I told over the years. It's about an elderly lady that pulls up to a, a traffic light, and while she's waiting for the light to change, the light changes. And, uh, but her car stalls out. And so she's trying to get the car started. She's turning the ignition. She's hitting the gas pedal. And a guy comes up behind her in a big old pickup truck, and he's very impatient. And he sees that it's an elderly lady, but he just starts honking. And the more he honks, the harder she tries to get it started. And finally, she just gets out of the car. I love what she did. She gets out of the car. She goes back to the truck. And by this time, the man's getting a little scared. She knocks on the window of the truck and motions for him to roll it down. And he does. And she said, listen, she said, if you would like to help start my truck, I would be glad to start my car. I would be glad to sit in your truck and honk for you. Can I say it's time for the church to stop honking and to start engaging? It's time to get engaged. Are we going to do that? So secondly, we engage personally. And then secondly, we engage with open eyes. With open eyes. Luke chapter 10, verse 33. And when he saw him, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Let me read the passage again. Because I, I saw something recently that I hadn't seen before. Verse 31 says, A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. All three, the priest, the Levite, and the unnamed Samaritan, they all had the initial same experience. They saw him, but they had different follow-up reactions. One avoided the man, one evaded the man, and the, 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 the Samaritan engaged the man. But it all started because he saw him. He saw him. Two saw him as a nuisance. One saw his needs. Two saw him as an obstacle to, to keep them from fulfilling their mission, and one saw him as their mission. That's really good. That was a great place to say amen, and it just went right over your head, so I'm going to say it again. James, you ready? All right. One saw, two saw him as an obstacle to keep them from their mission. The other one saw him as his mission. Amen. amen. All right, let's try this guy over here. You're not going to let this group be more intelligent and more engaged than you are, are you? All right. Two saw him as an obstacle on the way to their mission, but one, the Samaritan, saw him as his mission. Amen. Yeah. Where's Alan today? I haven't heard Alan at all. 
He's here, oh, he's back there. What's wrong with you? Get engaged, Alan. Come on, get engaged. I need some help. I need some help, all right? You know, I didn't get to go <laughs> trying to wake up. Well, that speaks well of me, doesn't it? <laughs> I didn't get to go to the general council this week, but I went online and, and I watched uh, some of the services and read about each of the services. And on one of the, one of the services, they had a father-son from Kansas City that... Um, the Westlakes, the, the George Westlake uh, III and, and his son, that co-pastor there, they had them sharing about their ministry. And the one, the, the third, the current lead pastor, he said that he talked about how that God had a few years ago called them and showed them this school. The school had reached out and asked if they could get help. And he said, it's a school that I had passed by for, he said, literally probably 10,000 times in my life on my way to church, on my way to my mission. He said, and all the time I never saw that that was my mission. And now they've engaged in meeting the needs in that school. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us sit in this room and, and we drive by our mission every day, but we're so busy, we're, we're so, our lives are so crowded with other things that we fail to see what God wants us to see. See, the pathway God uses from the, you know, to touch our hearts is through the eyes. He allows us to see how many times does it say of Jesus. And when he saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion. When he saw the crowd, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, helpless, and in need of a shepherd. Jesus saw, and then Jesus met the need. What is it that you need to see today? What is it that... You need to see. The priest and the Levite saw the wounded man with their eyes, but the Samaritans saw him with their heart. May God give us eyes to see what Jesus sees. May God give us a heart to feel what he feels. May God give us hands to reach what he, what, what, what he wants us to reach out to. May God give us feet to go where God wants us to go. God wants us to see. I, he wants us to see. I... One of the things a year ago, a year ago May, end of, end of April, 1st of May, Sam asked me to go to Burkina Faso. And I'd never been to Burkina Faso. I'd heard of it. I knew it was in Africa, but I didn't even know what part of Africa it was in. It's up in the top in the Horn, uh, Mali, the Ivory Coast. There's six or seven nations that surround it. And uh, when I got there, we were there six days. It was 105 every day. It was the hottest, it was the dirtiest, it was the, in all honesty, the ugliest place I've ever been. But I saw something that got a hold of my heart. I saw what Jesus saw when he saw sheep without a shepherd. And I committed that, Lord, whatever I can do to help. And so priority one is, we've got some pictures of, of Burkina Faso. Can we just look at these faces? See, it's one thing to hear about the need, but another thing to engage. See how they, they work in the fields to provide food for the Bible college? Just keep going. This is one of their kitchens. Can you imagine cooking on something like that? It takes barbecues. One of the young ladies. Just keep going through those pictures. But when I saw them, and, and saw them not just with my eyes, but with my heart, something was stirred. And when last fall... There are six Bible schools that we're engaged in, 
in Burkina Faso with, with priority one. One of them had been destroyed by Muslims that had come in from Mali to the north and had radicalized some of the other Muslims in the country. And they had destroyed one of the Bible colleges. And this May, I got to go back and be there for the first graduation of the school that we'd rebuilt. And it's incredible to see. But this year, 600 graduates between the six schools and 80% of those will go back to their villages and plant churches. It's tremendous. That means 480. I was educated in Tennessee, but I think that's right. 480 brand new churches because of the investment of Priority One and people like you that have helped us over the years. But here's the problem. Last fall, Kubri, which is the main school closest to the capital, Ouagadougou, isn't that fun to say, Ouagadougou? Everybody say, Ouagadougou. I can just see Lenny up here. He'd, he'd start to dance a little bit, Ouagadougou, you know. Uh, but the main school, they had 2,500 applicants. Think about that. 2,500 young families that said, hey, we want to be engaged. We're willing to leave our village. We're willing to go and be a part of, of, of three or four years of training and, and then go back to our villages and plant a church. 2,500, but they could only accept 100 of them because we didn't have any space for them to stay. 2,500 workers that are willing to be engaged, but only 100. We were able to take another 100 or so of those and farm them out to other schools throughout the country. But that meant 2,300 of the 25 couldn't be taught, couldn't be engaged. Why? Because there was no room. No room in the end like Jesus faced. And God has called us to help. And so this year, we are trying to raise, in fact, this summer we're building, we can't tackle all of that at once, but we, could, we said we don't have the money as a ministry, but we're going to believe that we can build 100 rooms during this summer. They have the students that will do the labor, and you can build a room for $2,500. And so we've already started sending money over to help build those buildings. Because why? Because we saw, and what we saw moved our heart. What is it that you need to see? You know, I uh, was talking to Dr. Eddie, Dr. Charles Heyer, last night, and he was sharing with me about the event this afternoon, and that you have, what, 500 backpacks, I think it is? And here's, here's my reaction. I said, Eddie, I, you know, we've been here a number of times visiting them. We just love the hires. And we've driven around this city, and I said, I actually am a little bit surprised. This is how naive I am. I said, I'm actually a little bit surprised that there are 500 that need help because the parts of the city that I've seen look affluent. The parts of the city that I've seen, you know, it's a beautiful city. It's immaculate. And, 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 and that's the problem you can drive on the surface of things and never get to the heart of the things. Am I making sense to anybody but myself this morning? You know, come on, Alan, help me out a little bit here. All right? What is it you need to open your eyes to? Thirdly, not only do we engage personally and engage with open eyes, we need to engage with open hearts. We need to engage with open hearts. It said, but a certain man, verse 35, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. When he saw him, he had compassion. When he saw him, his heart was touched. When he saw him, he was not just stirred, he was stirred to action. See, it's easy to ignore what we see. We do it all the time, don't we? 
they put a documentary on TV and it starts to get a little too close to home and they ask for help financially, what do we do? We flip the channel. Because it's easy to be aware, but another thing to be engaged. And so it's not enough to be aware, it's got to be engaged. Engage with our hearts. We engage with our hearts. We have, we have no connection. But maybe seeing those pictures touched your heart. Maybe it didn't. But if you'd go with me to Burkina Faso and you'd walk in those villages and you'd walk on those Bible school campuses and you'd hear the hearts of those people, your heart would be stirred. So when I ask, when's the last time you got out of your comfort zone and went to a place maybe within the, within the borders of this city? Went to a part of, you know, in Jackson where we pastored for years, there was North Jackson, which was the affluent area. That's where our church was. And then there was East Jackson, and that was an area of poverty. And some people would not even dare to venture off Highland one block because of fear. And sometimes we let our fear keep us from being exposed to the very things that God wants to expose us to. Am I making sense to anybody here today? So where do you need, what, what part of your city do you need to drive through today? What part of the state, you don't have to go very far to be in Appalachia and see things that would shake most of us to our core. What is it that we need to let flow through our eyes and down into our heart so that our hearts become engaged? The first missions trip, see, for years, we've always been, the churches I've pastored have always been very engaged in missions. It's just part of who we are. And for years, I didn't go on my first missions trip until I was 40. And the reason I didn't was because from an economic standpoint, it makes more sense to take the money that it would cost for me to go and just give it to them. They can hire the locals they can, to do the building. They can do all of that. From an economic sense, it makes more makes more sense. And so I would say, we're not, we're not taking teams. We're sending the money. We're empowering them. And there's truth to that. But here's what I found. The first time I went at age 40, we went to Romania. And it was just two years after Ceausescu had been overthrown, the, one of the most evil of all the dictators under communism. And when we got there, we saw what had been documented through pictures, the un, undescribable Un unbelievable lack of care and concern for the orphans. And when we walked onto that orphanage, we, we had taken five-pound bags of candy from Sam's, these big bags of candy. And we walked down the playground, and the kids swamped us. And we, we were overwhelmed. We thought, man, they, they just want the candy. But we found out that when the candy was gone, they were still swamping us. What they wanted was a hug. What they wanted was a touch. Because many of them had none had no little to none physical little to no physical touch and so we played and we hugged and we loved on them and then the guards I say guards they were workers but they were more like guards than they were workers they came out and they gave a little clap and the kids all knew it's time to go in they had different claps for different signals and so they lined up and they walked into the orphanage and we walked in behind them and we saw the workers wiping their faces their dirty you know, runny noses and that had been caked with the dirt from outside. They used the same rag for every kid. It was just horrible. And it touched my heart in such an incredible way that I had to run. I ran out of that building 
And I went back to the playground and I fell on my face and I cried for 20 or 30 minutes before I could get the composure to go back in because now it wasn't just a picture on a screen. Now it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a documentary that we'd seen on 6060 or 2020 or 4040 or whatever it was. It was it, we had held those babies and one of them looked just like our four-year-old little Krista. And, and when we held her, we, we bawled and squalled. Why? Because we moved from not just being engaged personally and not just having our eyes engaged, but now our heart was engaged. What are you engaged in? What has moved you to the point that you said, I can't, I, I can't sit back and not do something? See, here's the problem. Here's the problem. I call it sodsat. What do you mean by sodsat? S-O-A-D-S-A-T. Somebody ought to do something about that. And that, that's where a lot of us are, isn't it? Somebody ought to do something about that. And the Lord going, yes, and you're somebody. You're the somebody that I want to use. You're the somebody that I want to call, that I want to start a new ministry through. I'm so thankful to drive by the dirt piles over here in the field next to the church. I think it's over this way. And to understand that the reason they're bringing that in and filling it up is because you want to have athletic fields where you can have upward uh, soccer and football and basketball or whatever. And, and, and it's not just about playing a sport. It's about touching a heart. And somebody ought to do something about that. And we're the somebodies. We're the somebodies. We're engaged with personally open eyes and open hearts. And fourthly, we engage with open hands. We engage with open hands. Luke chapter 10, verse 35. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. See, here's the point. Engagement will cost you. Engagement, that's why people are stirred but not engaged. And let me tell you, it's not enough to be stirred. I grew up in a Pentecostal church where we were stirred, our emotions were stirred all the time. But very little change ever took place. Because you can feel something, and that's, isn't that what Pentecost is all about? Now, charismatic experience, all about feeling something. But it's not enough to feel. We've got to feel deeply enough to get engaged. You can be stirred all you want and go home and eat your ice cream and watch the ball game, and nothing changes until you engage your, with your hands. Look at what it cost him. It cost him, first of all, his comfort says that he put the unnamed man that had been beaten, he put him on his own donkey, and he took the road with his feet. Cost him the comfort of a donkey ride. Can I say, probably one of the greatest hindrances to the move of God that God wants to send to sweep across this earth in the last days, you can say it's a lack of prayer, a lack of this, but here's what I think. Here's my opinion. You can have yours. I think the greatest hindrance is our love of comfort. It's our love of comfort. We, we, we want things. We become a consumer generation. You say, well, you're preaching pretty hard this morning. Yeah, I'm leaving. 
What else was it you wanted me to share, Pastor? <laughs> just, just keep going. Uh, I'm just joking. But I'm not joking about the comfort. We get upset if they don't sing the songs we want. As if worship was about us. Worship's not about you. Well, I wasn't moved today. Well, it doesn't matter if you were moved. It's about God. It's about blessing and honoring God. Well, I don't, you know, all this talk about missions and all this talk about a new food building and, and courts, that's just, that's just, I don't know, that costs a lot of money. I, I don't, I, I'm not comfortable. Well, it's about time. What was it you wanted me to? I just, no, I'm just kidding. He didn't, we didn't talk. Comfort, cost him his comfort. Secondly, it cost him his time. Cost him his time. We don't know what he was busy doing, but he was on a journey just like the priest and the Levite. But he stopped. Sometimes we don't minister because we never stop. Sometimes the pauses, if you want to do an interesting study, study the Gospels and find every time that Jesus was interrupted and he paused and he stopped because that's when he ministered to people. That's when blind eyes were opened. That's when dead people were raised. That's when broken hearts were healed. We don't have time. It cost him his time. It cost him his comfort. And it cost him his money. He said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll pay now, but when I get back, if there's any more expense, I'm willing to give that. Say, well, I don't have a lot. And you never will until you're willing to let go of what you have. Because we preach and we, we preach that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But, but we don't live that way. But if you'll use what you have, if you just use what you have, God will give you more. I retired, and one of the things that concerned us, Nancy and I, about our retirement, we had saved, and we'd, we have an Edward Jones agent that had helped us, and, and, uh, and we knew we were going to be okay with our everyday living, but we didn't know how we were going to be able to give to missions at the same level we'd always given because it had always been a huge part of our DNA. But can I tell you three and a half years later that we have never even touched our Edward Jones account and we gave more last year to missions than we've ever given and we've already given more this year than we gave last year. Say, how did that happen? I don't know, except we stepped out when God touched, opened our eyes touched our hearts, our hands automatically opened and said, Lord, whatever we have, it's yours. It's yours. So what is God calling you to be engaged in? And then the last point, the last point is stay engaged. Stay engaged. Luke 10, 35. And when I return, when I return, the Good Samaritan not only stopped took the time, put the man on his own donkey, bandaged him up, took him to the inn where he could get some more care and paid for that. But he says, I'm coming back. I'm com it's not a one and done thing. Well, Pastor, I, I'm sure glad you preached this on this day because I signed up for this afternoon. I'm going to be part of the ones handing out backpacks. Bro, yay. But what about tomorrow? And what about the next day and the next day? 
It's not enough, a one and done. That may work in college basketball, but it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. God is calling us to long-term engagement, Lord. Whatever you want, wherever you want me, whoever you want me to reach, I'm willing to do it, and I'm not going to give up until the need is met. Are you engaged? Nancy and I uh, were in Iowa. We just took an incredible trip. We went out west. We'd never been to North and South Dakota. And uh, so we, we went and we preached for a, one kid that was in my youth group. And uh, it was an incredible day. They raised 110000 that morning to help us build a Bible cha school chapel in Argentina. And, uh, and while we were there, we saw the monuments and Black Hills and all that, it, Badlands. It was incredible. And then we went up to North Dakota, and we saw Roosevelt National Park. It was great. And then we saw lots of wheat. That's all there is, wheat. And, um, and we drove, and we went to Iowa and preached the next week in Iowa. And just as we're getting to Iowa, the GPS had routed us down two-lane roads, taken us off the interstate, and put us on two-lane roads all the way from Minneapolis to Waverly, Iowa. And we get behind this truck on this two-lane road, and it's an R&L trucking company. It's out of Pennsylvania. I'd never heard of it. Never seen it before. Now I see them everywhere. But, but on the back of the truck, it had this thing, anything, anytime, anywhere. Anything, anytime, anywhere. That's their model. And may, may I dare say that that's what God wants of each and every one of us? Lord, anything, anytime, anywhere. Anything you want me to do, I'm going to do it anytime and anywhere. Anything, anytime, Lord, I'm sold out. I'm willing to be engaged. Here's what I believe. I believe that there are people in this room this morning. I joked with a young lady uh, before service. I said, God's going to call you to the mission field. That may or may not have been a joke. Who knows what God would do in her. I can't call her, but God can. But I do believe that in the history of this church, this church has been very generous to send people to the world in missions. And I don't think it's over. And I think that there's probably some in this room. It doesn't have to be a young girl in college. It could be someone who's retired that God's saying, hey, I'm asking you, would you go anywhere, do anything, and any time that I ask you? And the answer is, I'll be engaged. I'll say yes. It may be to work in the nursery. Pastor Keith, we haven't talked, but I pastored for 40-some years all together. And you know what? We always had people that were willing to sing on the worship team, but it was always hard to get people to work in the nursery. Am I, can I just be a pastor for a moment? Yes. See, the problem is it's that 80-20 principle. 20% do the work of the other 80, and we've got to do something about that because God's called us to be engaged. Would you pray with me right now? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, what a privilege to be able to stand here and to share the challenge that you put on my heart, Lord, for this church. And God, it, it's not just speaking to them, it's speaking to me. Lord, Nancy and I, we say, Lord, you can have our retirement. We want to be involved. We don't want to sit on the sidelines. We're not ready for that yet, Lord. There's still some things. We can't do everything we used to could do, but Lord... We still have something to offer. 
And we say this morning, Lord, anything, anytime, anywhere, we're ready. We want to be engaged. God, for that young man, that young lady that you're speaking to about giving themselves to full-time vocational ministry, God, maybe they come from a background where they would never, ever think God could use them. But, Lord, those are the very people you can use, people that aren't full of themselves, people that are humble, people that are just thrilled to say yes. God, just confirm that call to ministry. Confirm that call to the mission field. Confirm that call to pastoring. Confirm that call to the nursery today, Lord. Confirm that call to reach out to other parts of this city that are yet to be reached, Lord. Confirm that call in our hearts, Lord, that today what you're asking us to do is to walk next door and engage our neighbor in some friendly conversation. Maybe take him some cookies. Just reach out. Because, God, you call us not just to be aware, but to be engaged. So, God, we commit ourselves to you. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Our vision is that you would experience Victory Church as a place to call home. We do this by encountering God through worship, embracing community through relationship, and expanding the kingdom of God through service. Find out more about Victory at victorywinchester.com.